You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Welcome to our Breaking the Mold series as we, uh, just two weeks away, this week and next week, we'll wrap up our uh, series entitled Breaking the Mold. We have the choice to remain as we've been or to become as he is. To remain as we've been or to become as he is. A couple uh, uh, recently, uh, the new iPhone came out and there were people who had made plans. They put it on their calendar. The date was coming out. They, they called off work. Some people uh, were, were, were so intent about it that they called off work just so they could camp outside certain stores and places to get this iPhone. You may have seen it on, on the, the news and just the excitement, the hoopla of this new phone that's coming out. And people line up, everybody waiting to get this new phone that's, that's about to arrive. And uh, they are folks that all it, make going to great lengths, camping out, some of them, just to be able to get this phone. It was a couple weeks after that, uh, Jody and I had gone into the, the, the store because her phone had been acting up and there were some things with the battery. And so she took it in to have it looked at. And the guy convinced her, said that she was out of contract and convinced her to get an upgrade. It didn't take a lot of convincing, but convinced her, convinced her that she could uh, get an upgrade. And uh, he said, what kind of phone would you like? And she said, well, I know the new iPhones just came out, so they're probably not available. He said, well, actually, no, we could order one and you could have it by next week. I looked at the guy and said, so then tell me why does everybody, or why is there a big deal that some people camp out and they go to all those, the, the great length? He said, they just want to be the first ones to get it. And I thought, all of that work and all of that energy, that time off, and all to get the, be the first one to get the new phone. I was content. I said, I'll just show up two weeks later, have you mail it to me. I'm okay with that. I don't have to, I don't have to camp out, don't have to go to any great, de- great detail. But all of that because they desire the upgrade, desire the new. Let me ask you, we've been asking ourselves this question, are we the new version of you? Are you the new version of you or are you the same old? Are you the new you or are you the same old? In 2 Corinthians, this scripture that we've been looking at, and in fact, I want you to read this with me. It's on the screen here this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.17, this theme verse that we've been looking at for this series. Read it with me this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Let's say it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Lord, make us new in Jesus' name. How many would say that this morning? God, help us to be the new that you desire. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, today that your word is life-giving. I pray that as we, as we look at this desire, this, this call, Lord, to break the mold of what has been so that we might walk into the brand new of what you've called us for. We pray your blessing on this word and on every heart we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are desiring to become the new us, the new that God wants to do in our lives. He brought us into the place. He saved us the day that he, that he saved us. He came into our life, and he immediately, immediately called us as his own. His blood was applied to our sins. The past is gone. We are made new in Christ. We, we recognize that salvation is immediate. But there are habits and practices and attitudes and things along the way that though salvation is immediate, 
There is the work of sanctification or the cleansing process that we are taking a walk with God to become more and more like Him. We're journeying with Him. And if we're going to walk into the new of of what is brand new, there's some old that needs to be traded in. Some things that are either molds that need to be broken or, or, or practices that need to be surrendered or laid down. In order for us to allow the upgrade, in order for us to allow the change that God wants to bring into our lives. We've been looking over the last couple of weeks and, and some of the things that we've identified of, of areas that need to change. And we could call them ruts. You know what those, those moments that you get to ruts in life. We're going to talk uh, this morning about one of those. But we talked about and and uh, we haven't used this term. But even just to kind of put it in a, in a review for us where we've been looking. The, the first one we identified, a mold that needs to be broken, is the rut of wrongful desire. We talked about Lot, and we recognized that Lot's main issue was that he camped his, or he set up his tent just outside of Sodom, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Not only did he set up outside of Sodom, but he set his tents towards Sodom, which means every day he woke up, he looked towards the evil and the wickedness that was in Sodom. It's what he saw every morning. We challenged ourselves to set a new practice, that we set a, a goal that every morning to at least five minutes when our feet hit the ground to set our mind, to consciously set our mind on God, that we're not looking towards the things of the world, but that we set our mind on God, the rut of wrongful desires. We talked as well about what we could call the, the, the rut of self-righteousness. Jesus tells us that unless our righteousness is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, that we'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. That seems impossible. Because in our own ability to do things righteously, the Pharisees had it down. They did everything by the book. They did all the right deeds. But Jesus was saying that your righteousness is not what you're connected to, not to your own ability, but our righteousness is when we're connected to God's righteousness. Like a lamp that's not enough in order for it to shine. It's one thing to have all the elements and everything in place in order for it to work, but it must be plugged into a source in order for that light to produce and that light to work. In our lives, the rut of self-righteousness needs to be a mold that's broken that we don't live in the righteousness of what we do, but we live in the righteousness of who Jesus Christ is, that we're connected to who he is. We talked last week then about the rut of self-control, needing self-control in our lives. That if we're going to break the mold and and walk into the brand new, how many recognize that's going to require self-control? There are certain things, anything that we want to change in life requires self-control. If we want to, if we want to see our anger change and our temperament be, be changed, if, if we want to see habits or, or, or desires or goals that we might set, it requires self-control. And we recognize this, that self-control is not what we're able to manage. But self-control is the work of the Holy Spirit, the miracle. It's not our ability to manage. It's the Spirit's ability to do the miracle. We all need self-control, but self-control is not mind over matter. It's not power of the mind. It's not, it's not willpower. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit that when we control or when we give over our lives to Him, when we say to Him, God, take control of my life, His Spirit does the work. Instead of us sweeping, we talked about, uh, about the house being swept clean and instead Instead of us cleaning the house and moving the dirt from place to place, we're saying, God, we put down the broom and we want you to breathe new life into our dirt. We want you to set the order. We want you to take control of our lives because we can all do well at trying to manage our mess. We can all do well at trying to manage. And and there's there's an area, I realize that there's, there's a part of willpower and things that people can practice, but that can only carry so far and it will not be enough to carry you far enough to heaven. How many know that? 
It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that's going to get you into heaven. It's not our own doing. And that, that, that self-control that we need in our lives will only operate when we give our control over to God. When we say to God, we want you to have control of our lives. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? And we're going to talk about another rut this morning, another area of our, of our lives sometimes that we get caught up in, and an area that, that uh, becomes a hindrance that can hold us back. This area is in Romans 12. We're going to take a look at this this morning, and it's a natural instinct of ours, a natural instinct that when it's not in its proper boundaries can cause, uh, can cause turbulence and difficulty. It can cause a great catastrophe. Have you ever found yourself watching a movie? And the moment you're introduced to the villain of the, of the, of the movie, of, the, uh, of the, uh, the whole story, how many realize a good story needs a villain? When you're introduced to that villain or to that shady character, you, you watch the movie and you can't wait for that villain or for that individual who's the bad guy, the bad person in the movie. You can't wait for them to get what they deserve. How many know what I'm talking about? It's almost as if we feel this way, that the redemption of the innocent is sealed and confirmed by the punishment of the guilty. Isn't that how we feel? That the the redemption of the innocent is sealed and confirmed by the punishment of the guilty. We we call it this. We say people getting what they deserve or, or someone paying for it or getting what's coming to them or evening the score. But the Bible calls it revenge. Revenge, of course, in our lives, and, and you might know what this is. You might say, well, I'm not, I'm not really controlled by revenge. It's not, it, it's not inside of me. And this morning, I don't know what it might be for you, but even to identify and challenge our thoughts the way that we, we might think, it's a natural instinct for us to want justice. We're created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we are created by a God who is just. He is just and he is fair. And because we're created in his image, we want justice. The only problem is that we sometimes cross a line and it's no longer justice, but it becomes revenge. And so what is the difference between justice and revenge? What is it to have the rightful desire that God has put in us as we're created with? We want justice. Justice is of the Lord. It's what we should desire. It's a rightful desire. But when we operate or cross the line, we no longer operate in desiring justice. It becomes revenge and revenge is a whole different thing. Revenge becomes something that, that hinders. In fact, we could call it this way. It, it's, it's the rut of revenge. And if, if you've heard before, there was a gentleman who said one time, he said, if a man wants revenge, he should build or he should dig two graves. If a man wants revenge, he should dig two graves. Because what revenge means is that we're desiring not only for us to have pain, but we want to inflict pain. We want there to be a, a, a repayment or, or something that would seem even and, and equal. That we desire sometimes in those things that we would want revenge or we would want someone to pay for what they've done. The rut of revenge, you've ever heard about a rut? It's been said that a rut is like a, like a, a grave with open ends, with no ends. That it continues, a rut that continues to move in our lives. And I believe that sometimes our ruts can be affected. The rut of our lives, where we get stuck in the rut of life. And one of those ruts can be revenge. That we are desiring and looking through the perspective of, I will respond when this is done right. That we, we're hindered in moving forward and moving ahead because we're waiting for other things to be made right. And we stay where we are. We've said these kinds of things. I'll, I'll respond differently if they. 
if they, and we put the, the if in front of the response, and we remain in a rut instead of being able to climb out because we're waiting. When they respond properly, then we allow them to determine and be the control of when we'll respond in a godly way or in a way that would honor, honor the Lord. And so recognizing this revenge, I don't know, and you're, you're here today, and I'm sure you're not a, a, an avengeful person. I'm sure you're not here today, you know, you know uh, just stringing your, your hands and, and, and looking and just saying, I can't wait for them to get paid back but there might be something on the inside of our hearts that's hindering us some things that we have to recognize maybe some thoughts and and things that hold us up in Romans chapter 12 we look at this instinct that we're that we're born with this instinct for justice and in Romans chapter 12 do you have your Bibles starting with verse 1 and we're not going to read the entire chapter but I want to look at verse 1 and 2 this morning in verse 1 and 2 The Bible says this, as we look at this scripture. He says here, and I'm trying to get it into the version that I want to read. If anybody knows how to make our internet operate properly, that would be helpful. It's a, we'll try this one, here we go. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. He says this, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know and prove what is good, pleasing, and perfect. The perfect will of God. Now as you look at that this morning, he's, he's recognizing and he's telling us this. He says that we're not to copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I don't know if you've recognized this, but sometimes changing the way we think can be a hard thing to do. It's not God's, God's will for our lives is not just good. It's not just pleasing, but it is what? Perfect. I mean, when you think of something as being perfect, I'm sure husbands, you think of your wives. When you think of perfection, when you think of of perfect, when you you think of of being made in in beauty and and in in the the glory of the Lord, that this perfect, I used to think that Hershey chocolate was the best chocolate. I grew up not more than, than 35, 40 minutes away from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hershey chocolate was the best chocolate until someone gave me Gertrude Hawks. Have you ever heard of that? Someone gave me this chocolate, and how many know it had the ability to change the way I thought? It changed my mind. There are some of us that we look and we we perceive God's will, but are we really knowing God's perfect will? And the only way we can know God's perfect will is when we're willing to say, God, I'm going to surrender what I think because I want to be changed by what you think. I don't want to live according to justified by what I think. Justice is not according to what I think, but according to what the Word of God says and what He says. Can I tell you that thoughts are hard to change because thoughts are personal? The way I think and the way I equals the way I feel. And that becomes a personal thing. 
It becomes so personal that it's not quickly changed because there's some thoughts and feelings that I've grown up with that have been handed down. It's the way my dad thought. It's the way he looked at life. And I look through the, the lens of how he saw things and maybe the culture of what, what I grew up in and the things that surrounded me. And it becomes so personal. It becomes, well, this is how we did it. This is the way we lived. And a lot of change is hard to make because even when we know that something needs to change, it's hard to break that because we are so tied and connected to the way we think. We're so connected to what we think that we don't mind telling people what we think sometimes. We like telling and saying, and we're so connected. This is my feeling. This is what I believe. And it becomes so personal in our lives that it's hard sometimes to allow God to bring the change because we are so attached to this is what I feel. The civil rights movement of 50 years ago and more, what was hard to change was not that they were such evil people. Yes, there was wrong, and it, and it showed itself ugly. But somewhere in the line, people held on to, but this is how we do it. This is the way it is. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is how I do it. And when we attach ourselves to those things, it becomes such a personal part of us. And it's hard to change that. It's hard to change the way we think or the way we feel. And that's why the Bible here, he says, let God transform your mind. Or even, even in another translation, it, it, might say, it, it might say as well, but be transformed. That's the same as it might say, be healed. How many know that if when the Lord says to you, be healed, he's not telling you go do something. He's saying receive what he's done for you. How many believe that? And once again... To be transformed. It's not you're just changing the way you think. It's you aligning yourself and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your, into your heart and your mind and to be able to take control. It's a work that God must do in us. It's a work that we've got to be willing to allow God to do if that change is going to happen. Continuing on, I want, want you to jump down to verse 17 because we're going to look at one of the specific areas that we might need to have a change on. Verse 17. And Lord, let this work now. I love uh, technology when it does what I'd like it to do. I will go to my phone since it's not working on my iPad. Verse 17, look what it says. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing what is good. It gives us a clear picture and a, a clear word that we're, that we're told and a way that we're to respond. A way that we have to maybe change in, in what our thought is, what our mind is. There was a soldier who was serving overseas. And while he was serving overseas, he received a letter from his girlfriend. And the letter said this. It said, I'm breaking up with you. And to make matters worse, she said in her letter, Would you please send the picture that I gave to you? I would like to have it back so that I can put it in my wedding announcement. This gentleman was bothered by this letter. He told the other guys in his company, and he said how hurt he was. The other guys came up with an idea. They said, We're going to give you a picture of our girlfriends. And so he took all the picture of their girlfriends, and he put them in a box 
And he wrote a letter in the box and he sent it to this, this girl. He said, for the life of me, I can't remember which one you are. Would you please pick your picture that is yours and send the rest back to me? It was his way of saying, I'm going to get even. It was that desire of, of wanting things to, to, to be balanced out. We want that in life. Don't we want that in our lives? We want the evil to be balanced out by good. When you hear a bad story, you want to hear a good story in response. We want the laws of justice and everything to balance in the right way. And as we said already, it's because we're created in the image of God. We want that. We desire that. But when it becomes revenge, it becomes something that is no longer the heart of God, but becomes our own desire. It becomes what we want. Romans, Romans 12, 17 makes it clear. He says, never pay evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable or to show honor. That word honor means to be of value. That when you honor someone, you value them above other things. When you show honor, you give honor to people, you're giving them greater value. You're giving them greater recognition. And he says that we're to show that we are of a different value system. We should not pay back evil. Don't pay. And he's using this monetary term as accounting. And he's saying don't pay in a regard. Don't use the, the currency of the world and the way of the world to pay back. In fact, he already said in, in the early part that we read, don't copy the patterns and the way of this world. The way of this world is to get even. The currency that they use is if you pay with evil, I'm going to give you evil in return. He says, but honor. Have a different value system. Have a different value that you operate in. Justice is greater than revenge for this reason. We serve a God who cares more about restoration than retribution. That is why justice is greater than revenge because God is a God of restoration. He is a God of restoration, not retribution. He is a God who doesn't punish, who, who doesn't punish so that we might pay for our sins. He's a God that even in disciplining us, it's not that we can pay for what we've done it's so that we might be corrected and made ready to move forward it's not connected to our past it's connected to the future it's not connected to what we've done it's connected to what he wants us to do and in our lives recognizing that when we get caught up in somebody paying for what they've done when we live in the past we live in the rut of yesterday because we're stuck in what happened to us and when we attach everything to they need to pay for what they've done we live in revenge but when we recognize and say, no, things need to be changed so that we can move forward differently. That is justice. Even the justice system of America was not only introduced or presented or put in order that it might punish people for what they did, but it was written so it might also rehabilitate people to return to society to be proper. It's not just a punishment for the past. It's not just a punishment because of what you've done, but it's a correction to move forward. Sometimes we justify the attitude of revenge and, and even as, as people who, who, who read the scriptures, we can look at Exodus 21 verse 23 and we could say things like this because the Bible says, but there, if, if there is other hurt also, then it is life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, cut for cut, sore for sore. We look at this scripture and I grew up looking at this scripture having this with this perspective that was I used or looked at this scripture and in this scripture it justified or gave permission for us to respond and for us to say well that's what they deserve you know what I had to recognize is I got to be careful when I live in the world of what I think other people deserve 
Because when I live according to what I think other people deserve, then I only, in doing that, mean that I have to then put that same standard on myself, which means then I must live only according to what I deserve. And how many know God's grace and his mercy is all about what I don't deserve? That I live under a different standard, a different way. Even this scripture, looking at this, this doesn't say, oh, well, if someone commits a crime, then they shouldn't be punished. That's not what it's saying. They didn't write this as permission, as this is how you can pay somebody back. In fact, we know it wasn't about revenge because the Bible tells us in Leviticus, even before this, in Leviticus 19, it says this, do not hurt someone who has hurt you. Do not, do not offer in, work in revenge. Don't repay. And so this scripture that we find then in Exodus is, is, is recognizing that when we see eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, burn for burn, this isn't God's way of saying you have permission to, to pay back. This is God's way of saying make sure that, yes, they do need to have, have correction. There needs to be a price for the, for the offense and what has been done. But this was God's way of putting it in line to not say you have, you have permission mission to avenge it's God's way of saying you have you have to protect and make sure that when you avenge that the that the that the punishment fits the crime you got to make sure that it's appropriate that there are boundaries there's areas there's this this appropriateness to it the difference between justice and revenge is justice protects the future and revenge pays back the past justice protects the future this whole idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was not written for permission. It was written for protection. It was to make sure that the people, that there are those who would offend. Well, they do need to be, to, to be in some, some act or, or some way of punishment or some way of correction so that they don't continue to do what they've done. And it's to protect the future. It's not about paying back for the past. It's not about looking and saying, well, I would talk to them, but they don't deserve my attention because of what they did to me 35 years ago. I would make things right, but... And you live in the rut of the past. The rut of when they get this fixed, when this gets in place. The other difference between justice and revenge is that justice is built on God's standard, while revenge is built on my standard. My standard is about settling the score. God's standard is about restoring the broken. We become more like Jesus when we look at people, not for what they deserve or don't deserve, but when we look at them with the eyes and the love of Jesus Christ to see them as God created them and to desire broken things to be restored in their lives. Some of the things we've got to be careful of is that we can have such a standard of righteousness and holiness. And I believe, trust me, we don't lower the standard. We don't ever lower the standard. But sometimes we make it so hard for people to ever change the way that they told one lie and they're never going to be able to get themselves out of it. They've done one thing and there's never a hope for them to change again. And maybe you say, well, no, it's not one thing. They've done multiple things. So at what point do we quit loving? At what point do we keep, keep, or quit offering the, the, the hand of grace and quit loving the way that Christ would love? At what point do we say that's enough? Now, I realize there might be, some, might be some boundaries and things that need to be set in place. But again, those boundaries have to be in place. Not that we can have revenge, but that we might have restoration. Not retribution for what has been done, but able to restore so that they can move forward. At what point, how much time is it? How much time does it take for someone to be rehabilitated? That maybe a practice or an act that they've done that's wrong, how much time do they need before they get a chance to step up and move again? How much time does it take for them to be able to, to come to a place? Now listen, if you are the offender, then don't 
don't at all take advantage of time because the longer you wait to change and the longer you, you are asking and saying that you, you require then for yourself to be distanced. You require there to be a distance that if you remain in the same sin or in the same offense, you require a distance because even the Bible says this, that if they don't change, if there's a, there's a wrongful heart, turn them over to the devil. They, in the New Testament it says, turn them over. They're of a reprobate mind. They're, they're of no condition to be able to respond properly. Turn them over. Distance yourself. So the Bible does say there is place and room for distancing. But how many times what we're asking and what I'm saying to us is making sure that when we operate, that we do so with a heart of justice and not a heart of revenge. With a heart of saying we need to move towards restoration and not a heart of I'm waiting for it to be paid back. I'm waiting for retribution. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? That that line that sometimes can be thin, that line that we can look at and say, I'm looking forward for this to be made better. How long? What's it take? God knows the heart more than we do. Jeremiah says we don't even know our own heart. And so this becomes a matter of having to trust the Lord. But we operate on his standards. Romans chapter, chapter 12 verse 19 that we read. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Whose job is it to avenge? It's the Lord's job. It's God's job. So that means whenever I revenge, or take, a, take a revenge, whenever I operate, Whose job am I taking over? I'm doing God's job. Wouldn't you think it's probably a dangerous thing to play God? Probably a dangerous thing to step in and be the one who says, now this will be the rightful payment. This will be the rightful, right, rightful retribution. This is what ought to be done. He gives us standards and things to go by. But he says, he, he says that, that don't take revenge. That's the work of God. I, I, there are times where... And the kids, especially when they were younger, they would come to me and say, Daddy, I need you to fix this. And they would either bring a toy or something that needed worked on, and they would give it to me. And as soon as they would give it to me, they would stand right in the way, putting their head right over, and then taking the pieces. No, Daddy, it goes here. And the whole time they've asked me to fix it, but they keep looking in, and they keep saying, No, Dad, like this. And they're telling me how to do it. i got to admit, I know they're little kids, but there were times they said, Would you just take it and fix it yourself? Daddy, I want you to fix it, but all the while you're holding on to it. And like that little kid who's saying, Daddy, I want you to fix this. This needs fixed, but you never, you never let go of it. In fact, we recognize here, it says, leave that to the Lord. Your translation might say, leave room for God. Leave room for God. That there's a leaving, that you've got to let go. And when you let that go, it comes to a place, you say, God, I'm leaving this at your feet. I'm going to let you take care of the accounting. I'm going to let you take care of these numbers lining up. I don't know. I don't know your currency that well. I I don't know how to do this. I'm going to leave this at your feet and let you bring this to equal in whatever that means might be. And here's the equal. Not that we pay back for our wrong, but that God restores us to his likeness. That he makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said two men on the hillside. One was a Pharisee who pounded his chest and said, thank God I'm not like that guy, like the tax collector. And all the while the tax collector said, Lord, I'm a sinner. He called out for mercy, called out for grace. And being careful that we're, we're those who are in a place of saying, God, help us to operate in, in seeing mercy, seeing grace. I'm sure every single one of us know the golden rule. You know the golden rule? Do unto others as they have done unto you. 
The golden rule, don't write that down because that's not right. Some of you caught that. It doesn't say do unto others as they've done unto you. It says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So where is it that we can sometimes justify or say that we can hold on to a grudge or hold these things that would keep us rooted in the past? Isn't that what they do? They keep us rooted in in the past and we're in a rut, a grave that we can never climb out of until we're willing to say, I'm not going to wait to be for retribution of what has been done. I'm going to allow the Lord to take control of that and I'm going to move ahead and move forward. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Verse 20, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. If in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. That when you do this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. In the Old Testament, the burning coals were meant for purifying. That wherever burning coals came up and were, were there, it was a process of purifying. And God, his word is saying, this is taken from the Old Testament, that Paul is referencing this from the Old Testament, that when you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and not according to what they've done to you, when you operate in such a way, you will be putting purifying coals on their head. Not coals to destroy, but coals to purify. Coals to restore. To bring to a place of purity, to a place of change. Peter tells us this, that love covers a multitude of sin. There's no question that we are in a divide in America. There's no question in, that we are in a place and we can, we can form opinions and become so personally attached to what we believe and what we think. We can stand on different aisles and say, we're in the right, and if they would change this. I don't believe it's a one side has it and the other side needs to change. I believe both sides need to make a difference. I believe there's a both sides that need to come, whether it be po- political or, or, or races or, or, or different things, that we come to a place that we recognize That he's the healer. He's the mender. Only Jesus Christ can restore. And then when we lean upon him, when we turn it over to him, and here's what makes it hard to turn it over to him. Because it's hard for us. We see one thing that divides us between someone on the other side of the fence, and we let that one thing become so promoted, and we make it all about that. We make it all about this thing, and that's not what it's about. It's not anything about that. It's not anything to do with that. It's all about the, 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 the whole cause of, of what would honor and please the Lord, that we're willing to step over the line to say, what can I do to understand where you're coming from? What can I do to recognize where you're coming from? I don't see eye to eye with your cause. I don't see eye to eye with what you're, promotion, you're promoting. I don't agree with what you're doing, but help me understand why you're doing it. Because what you're doing is causing a speck or a plank in my eye. And i got to be careful because if I worry about the plank that's in yours, I've got 
got to recognize what's in mine in the same regard that I'm looking at them saying, you're not seeing it clearly, but I've got to ask myself, what am I missing? What is it that I need to see better? What is it that I need to understand? Well, I can't come to that understanding because they're doing this. No, I've got to look and say, I need to get beyond the issues and someone needs to be mature enough to go beyond the issues instead of the talking points on news, letting it be all about this, letting it be about a t-shirt that we wear, letting it be about a thing that was said, letting it be about things that we do. It's more than that. There's something more than that. And we're letting those things cause a divide and we're making a division far greater. And there's a point that we have to say and come across the line and say, I don't agree with that. But what is at the heart of what needs dealt with? What is at the heart of what we need to deal here? What is at the heart of what needs to be corrected? Because it's not, and here's the problem we have. We have stubborn people on both sides, Democrat, Republican, Independent, We have people who are stubborn on every side and we're not going to budge because we don't agree with all of this. We're not going to budge. And here's what we live in this place. It's called a rut. It's called we're stuck in our ways. We're stuck in how we've done. We're stuck in where we are because we're so deeply connected to that's what I feel. That's what I think. That's who I am. God loves you. But he didn't love you just to let you be who you are. He loved you so that he might cause you to become more and more like him, like his son. That transformation that might need to happen. There is a divide. We've got to ask ourselves, how are we going to fix it? There might be a divide in your marriage. There might be a divide in your home. There's a divide in our nation. There's a divide where we are. I believe that things have gotten a little worse lately. There were things that were not an issue, but somehow it gets put into the light and it becomes a bigger issue. And we make it more about what we feel and what we think. Instead of saying, God, help us to not look for someone to pay for what they've done in the past. Help us to move forward in restoration. There were two brothers in the Bible. They were twins, Jacob and Esau. I don't know if you ever heard of Jacob and Esau, but they were, they, were, uh, they were pretty popular. They had a lot to do with the early patriarchs, the sons of, of Isaac, who was the promised son of Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They were twins that from the time they were born, there was conflict. While they were in their mother's womb, the Bible, the, the Bible says that they, they wrestled, that there was, a, there was a, a, uh, just motion and chaos inside the mother's womb. Rebecca goes to the Lord and said, what is up with these kids? And the Lord says, two nations are inside of you. The younger will be served by the older. That just turned everything around. Because the older always serves the younger. But God knew Jacob was more up to the task than Esau. We don't have time to get into all that. But two sons, Jacob and Esau. They grow up. Jacob's a mama's boy. Hanging out in the house and making meals and staying close by. Esau was a hunter, a man of the, of the fields. And he would go out and, and he would hunt. He would come in, and one day he came in, and he must not have been that good of a hunter because he came in hungry. 
he was a good hunter, he could have killed something maybe. I don't know. But he came in hungry and he says, I need something to eat. He says to his brother, give me some of that stew. And his brother, who was a deceiver, but he didn't deceive him here. He knew what was going on. His brother said, this is my chance. If you want some of this stew, sell me your birthright. Sell me your inheritance. I'll give you this stew if you give me your inheritance. Esau, despising his inheritance, says, I don't need that. I'm going to die. I think he exaggerated a little bit. I mean, no, we're good at that sometimes. We're good at the exaggeration. He says, I'm going to die if you don't give me some food. And Jacob, of course, takes his inheritance, his birthright. A couple years later, it's time for Isaac to bless his sons. Isaac says to Esau, go get some Go kill some game because Esau loved the food that, that or uh, Jacob loved the, Isaac loved the food that Esau would make. He said, go get some game, bring it in. I'll eat it and then I'll bless you. I'll give you the inheritance. Rebecca overheard it and said, hey, Jacob, I want you to go get some, an animal out of the barn. You bring it in, I'll make the food and you dress up like your brother and you get the blessing. How many know this was deception? It's wrong. He does it. He gets the blessing. Esau comes back in and, and Esau says, Father, here I am. Bless me. Isaac says, who are you? I already blessed Esau. Esau says, no, you didn't. I'm Esau. That wasn't, that was my brother Jacob. Isaac said, I'm sorry, son. What's done is done. I can't take it back. There's nothing I can do. This is unfair. This isn't right. The Bible says that Esau consoled himself with the thought of killing Jacob his whole desire was I'm gonna get him back I'm gonna kill him I'm gonna kill him Jacob runs for his life and goes to Haran to his uncle's house he's running for his life and Esau knows that he left and Esau's still in his mind I'm gonna get him almost 20 years later after Jacob has two wives has been deceived now by Laban, how many know what goes around comes around? Hey, Jacob the deceiver ended up spending 14 years with a deceiver, Laban, who took advantage of him. You reap what you sow. Jacob hears from the Lord, and the Lord says, go back to your place of birth. And so Jacob gets up to leave. But Jacob knows along the way, it's a very good chance that he's going to run into I know it's almost 20 years, but I don't know how long he's holding on to this grudge. And he comes to a place, and he sends his family on ahead. He says, you go ahead. And the Bible says the night before he met Esau, he spent the night in a place by himself. And if you know what happened there, he prayed to God. He said, God, save me from my brother. He wants to kill me. That's what his concern was. His concern was, God, save me from my brother. He wants to kill me. The Bible says that the Lord came and that Jacob wrestled with God. There was a wrestling match that went on and and the, the Lord said, let go of me. The sun is coming up. And Jacob, if you remember the words, Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And with that, the Bible says that God blessed him. But in that wrestling, his hip was injured. And he had to walk with a limp. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. Now here's Jacob showing up with Esau. Esau wanted to kill him. Jacob shows up to Esau. They meet each other along the way. 
And Jacob shows up with his family and with animals. He's got a staff in his hand, likely. Not only because he was a shepherd, but that became a walking stick. Because it changed the way he walked. It changed the way he walked. It changed what there was. There became something that reminded him. There was something that reminded him that when there would be pain, when someone might cause pain, he might say, oh, but this hip was affected by someone greater. This hip was affected by someone greater. And I walk different, not because of what man can do to me, but I walk different because there's a God who I put my trust in. And I would rather walk with a limp that comes from God than to get revenge and to walk dead and walk as a dead man not honoring not not accomplishing anything i'd rather limp into my future than die in my past i'd rather limp into my future you might say someone hurt me i've been hindered i've been hurt along the way i'd rather limp and keep on moving forward than let myself die in the past of what has happened esau shows up he's got 400 men how many know that makes an army Esau shows up with an army because I believe Esau still wanted to kill him. But I believe that night that Jacob wrestled with God, God did something to Esau's heart. Some of you might have to wrestle because you're holding on to grudge. And there's something in you that you you're, you got to wrestle and fight through that because you can't. it's hard for you to forgive. It's hard for you to get over that. It's hard for you to move beyond. You're stuck in the rut. You're stuck in that place. And you're holding on to those things that someone may have done. And I'd even look at you and say, yeah, it wasn't right. It's not fair. I agree with you. That shouldn't have happened in your life. That shouldn't have taken place. That shouldn't have been done to you. But how long are you going to carry that? And if you carry that, then you're going to come to a place that I would much rather, and I hope this makes sense to you, I would much rather limp into my future than to die into my past and die and holding on to the things that I can't, that I want revenge for, that I want paid back for. I'd rather walk leaning on God. I'd rather walk leaning on His provision, leaning on His goodness, leaning on the fact that that he'll take care of me than to hold on because you could also use that staff as something different. You could also turn that staff around and make it, well, you're going to pay for this. You're going to owe me for this. You lied to me and you're going to, you're never going to get back into goods with me. You treated me this way. I'm never coming back. You know what you've done? You said, God, I'm not willing to limp because there's not one of you that's able to run strong enough. We all limp. Hear me today. We all limp. There's not one of you that have all your bones and tendons and your whole spiritual body in order. Every single one of us limp. And you know what we limp? We limp holding on to the truth of God saying, God, it's only by your grace. God, it's only by your goodness. But you're some of us, instead of limping into the future, we're choosing to die in our past. I know this is a strong message. I don't want to have fear. So I want you to know what's in my heart here this morning. Where you are personally. I'm tired of hearing about Ferguson. I'm tired of hearing about what's been going on. 
because all we've got is one side doing something wrong and the other side, let's do it this way. And we got payback going on payback. I wonder where's the church going to rise up and say it's not about that. It's not about any of that. It's about the healer. We don't lift up one side over the other. We don't say cops, cop lives matter, black lives matter, these lives matter. No, every life matters. We don't lift up sides. We lift up the healer. The healer is Jesus Christ. He's able to bridge the divide. I don't care what the skin color is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your dad did to my dad. I don't care what the past has been. We serve a God who's able to heal. And I'm making a strong statement because this is a day that we say to God, help us not live in the rut of our past. Help us to live in the limping of our future. That we say, God, yes, this happened. We need a cane, but I'll hold on to you and I'll trust you because I'd rather limp to my future than die in my past. So I say we be the church. And guess where the church starts? Husband, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Husbands, climb out of the rut of what you say. She needs to do this. They need to do that. Begin to love. Begin to, begin to display the body of Christ right here. The Bible says the world will know you are my disciples. How? By the way you love one another. By the way you love one another. And when you get to the end, you're going to find out that whatever parties are conflicting, not one side is all right and not one side is all wrong. I say this to couples many times. The conflict you might have is not one-sided, but it might be lopsided. It's not one-sided, but it might be lopsided. There's never one person that comes in, has it all together, and the other person has it all messed up. No, you're both lopsided. You might be carrying more of the weight than the other. I don't know. But no one's walking perfect here. We're all limping. So I say we hold on to the cane, the truth, the staff of God's word. And we say, God, we lay down revenge so that you might take up. Esau came with, us, with armies. That's a defender. Jacob came with his staff. That's a shepherd. You know the heart of a shepherd? To nurture heart of the shepherd is to nurture. What's the heart of the soldier? To defend. Here's what I say. Let's be the people who nurture and let him be our defender. Let's be the people who lift up the staff to nurture and let him be our defender. Let's be the ones who speak life and let him be the one who takes care of justice. Does that make sense to anybody today? If racism is in your heart because it's been in your heart since your grandfather, your great-grandfather, you know what makes it harder? You say, well, then because we got lines, other people, they're justifying this, they're justifying that. I, we're not justifying anything. We're saying, God, cleanse our heart and help us to be in the right place. Instead of looking across the line and looking for everything wrong and why they're the way they are and them looking back and saying, that's why they're the way they are. How about we lay down the defenses and walk across the line and say, I'm limping. I don't have this all figured out. But I know the one who's able to restore. And this morning you might need to let go of some things you're holding on to. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. If your heart, I want you to think right now, is there someone that you've considered they're not worthy of my restoration? They're not worthy of being restored to me. They did this to me. They did this to my family. They said this about me. They acted this way to me. And you're holding that grudge today. You're stuck in a rut. 
You're saying, I'd rather die in the past than limp into my future. If you're here today and you say, Jason, there's some, there's some revenge. There's, there's vengeance in my heart and hurt. And it's, it's unjustified hurt. It's not fair. But there's hurt in my heart today that I need to let go of. And I need to say to God, God, I, I, get me out of this rut. I want to walk into wholeness. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, the Holy Spirit is here today to give comfort and peace. You need to hear this as you leave today. Don't die in your past when God can give you the ability to limp into your future. You might as well limp into your future. We sang this song last week as we closed. Would you stand with me and sing it again this morning? Because what this comes to is we're saying, God, I want to give you control. I'm going to turn control over to you. I'm going to turn control over to you. Allow him to bring that healing. Come on, let's just sing this chorus together and just make this our declaration just before we leave this morning. Just ask him today, Holy Spirit, reign in our heart. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.